India has been very proactive in digitizing the Indian payment system. And the most successful is the UPI network, which is the account-to-account real-time payments. The volumes, we see somewhere around 10 billion transactions a month being processed. And they will now start to connect into other countries, creating a competition for some of the big American networks. I think over the next three to five years, people will start to trust fintech organizations. They will start to trust retailers and be able to to want to have a financial relationship with those stakeholders instead of the the traditional banks. The challenge will be whether they can manage that fragmentation of having different financial relationships in, in multiple places. Welcome to the Platform Pioneers, a show about the bright minds behind the world's largest digital platforms and the stories of how they built them. I am your host, Kuros, and together we'll uncover the secrets behind creating, scaling, and managing some of the most successful platforms out there. Welcome back to Platform Pioneer Podcast. Today, I'm really excited that we're joined by Peter Churchill. He's an international CEO at InSolutions Global called ISG. ISG is a global payment as a service platform serving customers across super interesting regions, Middle East, Africa, and Asia, processing more than 14 billion transactions. Before ISG, Peter worked at various fintech companies. I mean, Peter, maybe you introduce yourself uh, real quick and say, what is your main customer at ISG and what kind of is the vision of that company? Yes, good afternoon and thank you for inviting me onto the, the podcast. Delighted to be with you today. My name is Peter Churchill. I'm the CEO for InSolutions Global, looking after their international business across Asia Pacific, Africa and over into North America. InSolutions is a, a full service payment business. So we look after clients from banking, the industry, all the way through to, to merchants and, of course, the, the latest round of fintechs that are emerging and playing in the payment space as well. We, we cover all of the acquiring products, so both online payment gateways and point of sale, in-store payments and mobile application payments, as well as issuing cards. And we issue both credit cards and uh, prepay cards. So we've been doing this now for uh, about the last 20 years. About the same time as I started in the payments industry, uh, I joined ISG uh, six years ago. Before that, as you mentioned, worked with various different fintechs and, and third-party payment processes globally. And we're now looking to to really bring together that local capability that we're, we're building in each of the markets and spread it globally so that we can benefit from the scale and opportunities to bring in new types of payment methods uh, and picking the best from each of the local markets to make a gl truly global product. I mean, uh, super interesting. If, if I look at, like, first of all, the main regions that uh, ISG is operating in, it's very diverse regions, obviously, uh, specifically if you look at, at Asia. What is, in your day-to-day -day business, having this broad geographical reach, what is like a main challenge and how do these markets compare to each other when it comes from a payment method perspective, from a usage perspective, from a customer perspective? So I, th I think there are lots of challenges that we, we face um, particularly around regulation and compliance. And within that domain, there are a number of regulators that are highly active. If you take the European Union, for instance, um, or, or in India, where our uh, domestic market is based, the regulators have both been uh, a driving force towards bringing new payment methods into the market, enabling new working models, things like the account initiation service providers or the, the payment initiation service providers getting fintech startup entrepreneurial companies into the payments domain uh, driving that that payments experience faster than perhaps some of the incumbents that were there originally some of the banks who may have been slower to to innovate and bring those 
new technologies to market. Likewise, in, in India, the Reserve Bank of India has been very proactive, particularly in, in digitizing the Indian payment system. And they brought in uh, National Payments Council of India, MPCI, who have built out a prolific amount of payment in instruments on a, a digital first platform, uh, one of which has been probably the, the golden child um, and the most successful in terms of growth over the last few years, which is the, the UPI network, um, which is the account-to-account -account faster real-time payments. Uh, the volumes there now are, are continuing to grow but we see somewhere around 10 billion transactions a month being processed over UPI. And they will now start to connect into other countries, other regions, creating a, a competition for some of the big American networks. So they are enablers. However, at the same time, they are inhibitors because they wrap up lots of regulation, policies, reporting, uh, and particularly around data and, and how data is managed. And I think that's where payments companies have to look at what technology there is that can help them cross borders, but keep safe the, the personal information uh, and adhere to the data protection rules of each of those jurisdictions they're working in. That is quite an interesting point you're making. Maybe for our uh, more EU-based audience, in the EU in the past years, it was a lot about that hype, hey, open banking, that is going to really disrupt uh, credit card schemes. It was a lot about, hey, you have a unified SEPA area where you can do SEPA direct debits and um, SCTs, and that, that's going to be a, a game changer. But adoption is, is lacking a bit behind. Now you're talking about a, a similar scheme. Maybe let's let's discuss a bit that uh, that technology in India with numbers of 10 billions of transactions. How how is that impacting the payment methods uh, split? Is the market in India similar to to the EU and to North America where People were traditionally using a lot of credit cards or what kind of like, at what expense are these these payment methods now emerging? Uh, that's a very uh, interesting question. I think uh, both the, the background to, to the US um, and how it will react to the introduction of account-to-account uh, -account real-time payment systems that, that FedNow have just, just launched is actually very different from, from what happened in, in India, where the US is a very developed market with a large number of, of Uh, digital payments already in play. India was somewhat of a, a very nascent market. There wasn't really a very large credit card base installed. There weren't that very uh, large number of uh, payment transactions being taking place on either credit or, or debit card. And it was much more a, a, a cash-based society. Um, the differences, again, are in, in terms of the volumes. There's uh, you know, 350 million or so people in, in the US, but 1.6 billion people in, in India. And so... What they've seen in India is, is a move towards introducing digital. They've enabled it through mobile phone uh, and mobile apps. And by doing that, I've been able to, um, I would say, jump uh, over in a number of aspects, security, cost of transaction, speed of transaction, and scale of transaction from, from many of those developed markets who have a lot of legacy infrastructure that they're, they're trying to battle with Uh, one to maintain, one to, to keep up to date with regulation, but also innovate with. So in India, they, they didn't come from a very large number of transactions in the first place. These are new transactions that are, that are taking place, um, replacing cash that was there. The other thing, obviously, is, is the different term uh, or value of these transactions. In, the, in India today, those transaction values are quite low compared to, to some of the developed markets. 
but that's reflective of, of the cost of, of living in both of those different countries. Interesting. And, and you mentioned that these kind of like uh, new schemes have really replaced cash. I mean, that is something that we have also seen uh, a lot in, I would say, more traditional markets like, like Germany, where it was very much a cash-based society and has been now really replaced specifically during, uh, during COVID. Uh, is there something similar to see in that, in that main market that you are operating in? Like COVID has been a huge accelerator and um, that this has been kind of like the inclination point to really, to really rule out cash on a larger scale. I think COVID uh, definitely encouraged uh, digital first across lots of different channels, not not just payments, um, obviously working from home and, and conference calls and all of those kind of technologies benefited enormously. And I think that sea of change has, has continued um, with more and more people looking at digital technology to support the way that they either as a consumer go about doing their day-to-day -day activities or as businesses as they look to, to optimize how they relate and work with vendors and serve their customers through a better customer experience, be that uh, digitally or, or physically in-store or, or that omni-channel is now there coming together. Um, and I think that's that's great to see uh, the combination. Certainly the, the generation coming through that, that lived through COVID uh, are very, very digitally savvy and expect to see things you know on mobile apps now. They're not used to, to the old methods and uh, companies like Netflix driving that online streaming of, of films. You've got your, your platforms from Meta and, and from Google that are, are driving more and more content online. Uh, and so we do see a lot of digital initiatives that makes it now then more, much more natural to, to pay with your, your phone. Um, whereas before you would have used cash, people now are very comfortable using a, a mobile device to make a payment or using a, a card to make a payment. So whether it's mass transport, we see now, you know, you can tap your phone in a number of the markets, if you want to, to catch a train, you no longer have to, to buy a ticket at the, the ticket station. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's an obvious use case because it's it's super convenient. Uh, that's what people are looking for. They don't want to have to stop, take some time to, to press different buttons or, you know, speak to different people and get handed bits of paper or change bits of paper between each other. They just want to get their phone out. It recognizes where they are. It knows what they want to do. It asks it, tap here and on your way. Um, and that's the, the experience that I think, you know, brings a lot of customer delight, uh, makes it, it, it easy. Um, and it's backed up by security as well. So certainly I think COVID was, was a great accelerator for, for digital, but digital in itself uh, offers so many great benefits that it will continue to grow and grow. It's risk if, if, uh, if we look at the, What challenges it may face is that it is dependent on being online. It's dependent on having connectivity. And so when, when connectivity or technology fails, that's where the, the fallback to having, you know, cash, which is ubiquitous, can allow trades to take place in, in any time zone, in any location between two people that will accept the, the commerce transaction being paid by, by cash. And so technology needs to, to have that robustness and security at, at its heart to ensure the, the customer protection, but also to ensure that, that it will allow ubiquitous transactions to take place anytime, anywhere. I think I think that's a that's a really really strong strong trend that you can see there and that you were mentioning. What what I would be curious if you have a relatively diverse set of of customers. I mean, you were mentioning at the beginning, right? They are merchants, they are financial institutions, they are fintechs. Where do you see the strongest growth coming from? 
because they are all very different, different type of, of, I would say, customers with very different dynamics, but all strong growing. Like, like where, where do you see the, the majority of growth coming from? And maybe the majority of innovation to be made. That would be also interesting to see. It, it's, uh, I think over the last five years uh, or so, the, the payments industry has become awash with lots of different operating models, uh, with, with different people. Uh, emerging as as innovators to bring new technologies and new uh, user journeys to to the experience. I see that the, the real growth will actually come still from from the banking industry in terms of the volumes, particularly around things like cross border. They still have that that level of trust from consumers that that want to put their money with them. Um, there are you know a few places where you will see the the super apps. Um, similar to you know, the very successful apps that have developed in in China with you know uh, WeChat um, and Alipay, obviously that's Elon Musk's dream for for X now is to become a super app, embed it with payments, make it a a, a lifestyle choice to conduct your business on that that platform um, as a super app. So I think they will drive a, a lot of that content. Uh, there's companies like PhonePay in India that that are doing similar uh, activity. And then I think you'll you'll see you know merchants taking a much more active role in in the way that they engage with with consumers. They've got physical stores. They've now gone online. They're trying to make that a an omni-channel experience. But from a payments perspective, they're also now trying to step in front of the, the banks as acquirers and become acquirers themselves in order to offer a you know a, a more personalised experience. And all I think the the winning game for for all that they're looking for is to get that democratization of financial services to be able to offer personal financial services to to the end consumer payments as a as a is a commoditized business you need a lot of volume to make money in in this in this business so getting the the volume into your platform and then being able to offer the consumer directly different types of services whether it's your own or whether you're curating them through the back end, through an API, from a, a panel of other people, like a marketplace, being able to, to drive that volume and be involved in the financial transaction, buy now, pay later, a loan, you know, a, a credit card, all of those are where the real value actually comes to monetize the, the payments game. I mean, that, that's, a, that's an, a really interesting point that you're touching upon is, let's say, distributors like platforms, marketplaces, but also also fintechs wanting to monetize everything around payments. It could be the payment itself. It could be what you're doing, card issuing. If you look two to three years ahead, what kind of transit technology out of these that, that you mentioned are you, are you betting big on? Is it that issuing is going to be a huge part of this? Is it going to be more distribution to, to platforms? Like, like what is what is your expectation in the next two to three years? It, it's going to be interesting to to see how consumers react to the, the fragmentation of, of, of payments. You know, they are very trusting, as we say, of uh, see of, of banks today in terms of cash. Even though you know uh, banks don't necessarily offer great customer experience, don't innovate very quickly. That's still the the first port of call for people to go. I think over the next three three to five years, though, people will start to trust fintech organisations. They will start to trust retailers and be able to to want to have a financial relationship with with those stakeholders instead of the the traditional banks the the challenge will be whether they can manage that fragmentation of having different financial relationships in in multiple places and particularly when it comes to then the the burden of debt that they start to to build 
are they actually able to, to manage that that debt effectively and efficiently, not be overcharged in, in terms of interest, uh, in terms of fees, and get confused between the different channels and the different regulations, terms and conditions that they're, they're operating on. And so I think the, the fragmentation is, is a real or diversification of different channels that, that will open up will be the challenge for the consumers. And that's where the regulators, I think, will come in uh, to try uh, and make it an area where consumers have protections, that firms, uh, fintechs, merchants, whoever that, that come in and offer these services have to play fairly and, and treat customers fairly. They have been slow to do that in, in certain markets at certain times. We look back to some of the, the payday loans, for instance, that, that people would offer at you know thousands of percent of APRs, you know, should never have been allowed. And, and it's those types of traps that we want to, to not see consumers fall into. But I do think people will change their relationships with who they bank with or who they trust uh, with their, their money um, and how they offer uh, different services to consumers it will depend on you know what the fintech believes is what the consumer wants. And, and at the end of the day, a, a digital first relationship through a marketplace, through a mobile app is certainly where I see the, the, the future. True, very true. I mean, and, and, and that is a, that's an even, even stronger value prop because the question is who owns the customer in a sense, like who's got a, uh, like what entity is the customer use for financial services, which is payments, which is loans, which could be cards, etc. And I've seen over the last, I would say three, four years, so many attempts. Would it be traders? Would it be a bank? Would it be a payment service? Would it be your super app, for example? And 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 that's gotta be that's gonna be very interesting how that how that's gonna pan out. Another, I would say, more long term question that I have when I when we had the discussion right now, you are if you look from a European or an American perspective, you're extremely strong in markets that maybe these these uh, big incumbents were traditionally not that strong in, right? They were always had good coverage in the EU. They always had good coverage in in North America. Let's kind of like um, jump 10 years into the future. I'm an international merchant. I'm in 60 countries. How is my payment stack going to look like? Because today it's very often I have a bunch of pay-in providers. I sometimes buy country just to optimize for coverage, etc. But you could also see for, let's say, small organizations that are very international, they're going to divert to these to the stripes of the like because they have already a decent global coverage. How's that stack going to look 10 years from now if I'm a very international merchant? I think the, the international merchants, uh, they have a couple of big challenges ahead of them. First of all, there's still different currencies around the globe. So managing you know, the, the currency that you're charging your the consumer in is, is the first one. And you know, uh, it's not been a, a big fashion for the last couple of months or so, yeah, but, but obviously we are seeing you know, uh, central bank digital currencies coming into play and what, what will be uh, the impact on, you know, Bitcoin, uh, the existing stable coins that, that are in the market. Um, how will they actually help to transcend borders and make a more ubiquitous payment experience? Uh, I think we were probably said Bitcoin was the answer uh, maybe two or three years ago when it was uh, growing at uh, a very fast rates and, and making lots of people Uh, very rich. Now it's it's waiting, biding its time. Uh, it's come back down to ground a little bit, um, mm -hmm. but certainly the, the the coins will be a very important part of that experience. So the, another challenge for the merchants that I think is being overcome with new technology, particularly artificial intelligence AI, is that of the the language and the the culture that the consumer is um, 
used to engaging with. With AI, through face detection, through voice detection, they will be able to very quickly adjust the interaction and the engagement that the merchant is offering to the consumer using their, their own language, their colloquialisms, um, and being able to personalize and tailor to, to the individual. And so transcending that, that border that, that exists today for international merchants to be able to really serve customers a lot more effectively in all of the markets that they're operating in. I mean, I mean, interesting, and, and and that's a great kind of like like vision to see. And that's what 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 everyone here wants to see is really how can AI that has been so disruptive now in in many cases really help kind of like operationally help merchants from a payment perspective, from a financing perspective. And and I mean, that's that's a great vision. Maybe to wrap it up because we're almost at the end of the of the content session. Is like imagine you're an international merchant and you want to get have a market entry into some of your core core countries, India, Middle East, Asia, but you don't know the market that well. Um, what advice would you give them if they wanted to, to get in there from a payment perspective? So my advice would be to, to find a good partner, to, to outsource and de-risk the operation by working with someone who, who is an expert within the payments domain. Um, there are some very good global providers in the market today, and, and they understand all the nuances of uh, security, uh, of regulation, of compliance and the, the requirement to, to meet the regulation uh, that's in each of the markets, uh, which can be very complicated. And they also understand the, the need of the consumer to have a, a fast, reliable transaction and that, that will enable them to, to transact in any market they're operating in. And so that relationship uh, with a, a strategic partner, possibly with, with someone like In Solutions Global, uh, would be my, my strong recommendation for those that wish to be having a global presence uh, with their stores. I mean, amazing closing statement. And now every one of the listeners know what comes. We always round it off with a, a kind of like a personal question on your workday. If you think about your job, what is your most favorite part of your job? And what is the least favorite part? Uh, so my favorite part of the, the job is the travel to the different places where we have businesses and where we work and, and serve our customers. I'm uh, an avid traveler love visiting new places, trying new food, uh, understanding new cultures uh, and meeting new people. So that's the, the best part of the job. Amazing, amazing. And the least favorite part? There's always a bit of uh, something that you don't like to do that much. <laughs> the, the least favorite part is having to do conference calls uh, at uh, 2 a.m. in the morning because of uh, the different time zones that we all operate in and having to, to try and work out which time zone I am to join the call at the right time. Oh, I, I've, I've been there. I've also been uh, in the Middle East for two years. I've been working a lot with uh, US partners when I was in Bain. Uh, I, I definitely know that feeling. Amazing, Peter. First of all, thank you so much for, for taking the time. It was great. It was great insights. I think it was extremely interesting for our listeners who may have not been uh, that much in, in the regions um, uh, that you're operating in. Thanks so much and have a great day, Peter. Thanks very much. Take care.